0: All right, Sixers fans, welcome to a new episode of Sixers Daily. I'm your host, Jazz Kang. Lots to discuss, including a huge Donovan Mitchell trade. Ended up going somewhere where I don't think anybody thought was possible. We'll jump into that. Also going to talk about the Brooklyn Nets, talk about some Sixers, what's happening with them compared to the big boys in the East. But before we jump into that, don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us wherever you get your fix, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, we are there. And of course, check us out at libertyballers.com joining me for this one he writes for our sister site nets daily with sb nation also starting to become a good friend of mine right mr chris millholland chris what's going on over there in brooklyn
1: my man i like our chemistry is elite right now so like i've we've done what two podcasts already this is a third i believe it is yeah it's always a blast joining you on the show it's always blast
0: Well, before we jump into it, let's let the people know you were actually went on a European excursion, spent some time in Spain, drinking some fine wine, trying to mind your own business. We'll get jump into the KD talk. But how was your uh, how was your trip overseas
1: there? Dude, it was amazing. Obviously, my grandma lives in Spain, so I haven't been over there since before COVID. So I was definitely due to go over. And obviously, you know, when working in sports, it's hard to plan vacations ahead of time. So I had this penciled in and I was like, you know what? And obviously, since now, like, obviously, I was had this trip planned for, even last summer. So once the NBA schedule kind of got on like a, a cemented basis, okay, this is when the season starts. This is when the finals are. This is when it's going to end. Just booked it late, uh, obviously uh, mid, early August. So I went there for two weeks. It was fun. I broke some news over there. So I was supposed to be on vacation, but then obviously uh, obviously like yourself, you could imagine like, you know, when, once you hear some buzz, you start reaching out and obviously you have to pay a little bit of a price with those international phone plans. But uh, first, I first reported the the Marquise Morris Nets interest so the mutual interest there, and then the David Duke uh, stuff going on with the two-way as well. So it was it was a, it was a good mixture of okay, drinking some fine wine, exploring Portugal and Spain, and then uh, taking some uh, vacation, but still working at the same time. So it was awesome.
0: Oh, it never it never ends in the, in the sports media never thing, ends. and especially for for guys like us, we're still trying to you know cut our teeth and and yep. and get our you know reps up and, and keep keep getting better. And so once we hear something, doesn't matter if it's three a.m. I remember when I was covering the Niners for SB Nation, the Trent Williams signing, the news broke at like two forty-five in the morning Pacific time, and I'm like, well, screw it, you know what I mean? Even though I've had a couple of beers, get up and start start writing. That's just yeah, yeah, that's, out, that's just the rolling. That's a that's a part of the trade. But like I mentioned off the top, Chris, let's jump right into a huge trade in the NBA. We had heard for the last month, month and a half, Donovan Mitchell's going to go to the Knicks. They're just working on that. They're going to figure it out. Obviously, things got complicated when the Knicks re-sign R.J. Barrett to that deal. Again, didn't totally kill talks between Utah and New York, but it kind of was like, okay, maybe this isn't happening after all. Now, then recording this on a Thursday afternoon, we get the news. Woj tweets it out. Utah trading Donovan Mitchell to Cleveland for Laurie Markkinen. Uh, The first round pick this year, Colin Sexton, three unprotected first rounders, two pick swaps as well. The going the other way, like I mentioned, Sexton, he agreed to a four year, $72 million sign and trade deal with Utah. So he is there. That is fully guaranteed. But jumping back to what. The Cavs got with Donovan Mitchell. Now he's going to be joining Darius Garland. He's going to be joining Jared Allen. He's going to be joining Evan Mobley, who I think is going to be a beast. When you look at this Cavs squad and you saw this trade, Chris, what was your first reaction?
1: My first reaction, first off, was kind of when you when you look at the Knicks and you look at this Cavs, right? the My big thing was this was the quality over quantity when it comes to draft picks. That's what, uh, that's kind of my overlying factor in this whole thing. Cause you got to look at it when the Knicks made those draft deals to acquire all those picks. A lot of those Knicks picks were bad picks to offer. Cause a lot of them were okay. You got to depend on another team. They're, they're protected from, well, well, I think it was like one through nine, 11 through this, all those years were different. Right. So that's a lot of uncertainties. And when you look at the Cavs, they only had three picks that they could offer, but they were also unprotected. Right. And when you look at, kind of how the deals broke down. What was it? It was unprotected picks to Utah in 2025, 27, 29, the pick swaps in 2026, 28. You could just tell the quality of those picks over the quantity, right? And when you're right. when and when you look at Cleveland and New York side by side, Cleveland's a lot obviously more advanced than New York is. And when you also look at New York would if you're Leon Rose and you're the Knicks, obviously, don't get me wrong, Donovan Mitchell, homegrown, homegrown guy, New York. Obviously, it would be a lot of fa- if not all the fans would accept it. But when you kind of look at it, would you give up that much for an undersized backcourt with Jalen Brunson and Donovan Mitchell? Right. Would you? And then obviously with R.J. Barrett's extension, you have that involved as well, which I, I completely love. I'm a huge guy. And I'm a huge fan of R.J. Barrett in his game. I really do think he's going to pop off this coming year. Well, obviously, now that he's in Cleveland, he's landed in Cleveland. They have a very good core. I'm talking a very good core. I don't want like it's a very, very good core. Right. So when you think about this, their average age, I think, is 22 and a half years old. They they have all kind of uh, they're in a good base to really start building up. And how I see the potential of this team going, I see them hovering around the four or five seat if they are healthy. And I would put kind of their ceiling this coming year as a second round exit. I think that's kind of their highest expectation going into this thing, right? And they could prove me wrong because when you look at the core, obviously, like you said, I'm a huge fan of Evan Mobley as well. And kind of the rest of the pieces that they have over there, I don't want to go name by name by name. But, you know, they're in a very good standing. I really like what Cleveland's doing right now.
0: Oh, for sure. Chris, I mean, you look at you look at the Cavs and even last season started to fall off towards the end with the injuries to Allen, with the injuries to Mobley. But like you mentioned, those guys, Evan Mobley, 21 years old, uh, Jared, uh, Jared Allen, 24 years old, Darius Garland, 22 years old. And now you're adding a 25 year old Spider Mitchell to this to this lineup. I'm with you because you know what? The first thing I thought, Chris, when I saw this deal and, and you're kind of digesting it all. The Cavs have now become Memphis East for me. You get yeah. what I mean? Maybe not having a guy at Jaws level, even though you know Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, these guys are a, a tier below, at least, uh, behind a guy like John Morant. But you look at the young talent they have there. And, and we saw what the Grizzlies did with the Warriors in that second round series. Again, John Morant doesn't get hurt. We might be talking about a whole different NBA champion when when, when looking at the at those circumstances, and Golden State did get obviously lucky. Uh, having jaw out for that extended period to end that series but when you look at, at now with the Cavs and and we you know we cover teams at the Atlantic and we'll jump into the fact that Katie and Kyrie are back with, with Brooklyn with the team you cover with the Nets uh, jump into that in a few minutes here but looking at, at what you have in the Eastern Conference now the Celtics right adding Malcolm Brogdon obviously now dealing with an injury to Gallinari but still Boston's going to be very good Tatum's going to be a year older Jalen Brown back Marcus Smart back Milwaukee's going to be Excellent as well. You have Giannis, arguably the top player in the game. If Chris Middleton doesn't get hurt, maybe the Bucks represent the the Eastern Conference in the finals against against the Warriors. And we're talking about back-to-back championships. And, of course, the team that I covered, the Sixers, who with Joel Embiid, James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, made the deals that they did this offseason, acquiring guys like P.J. Tucker, bringing in DeAnthony Melton, bringing in Daniel House. So the Sixers are going to be very good. Where do you put the calves now amongst the Eastern conference teams? Because, and I, like I mentioned, you got Brooklyn there right now too. So those would still be my top five, but then you're going to have Toronto. You're going to have Cleveland. Obviously now you got Chicago coming off a year where the bulls improved a lot. Last season, you have Atlanta with Dejounte Murray. Now, like, where do you put the calves amongst a loaded Eastern conference? Chris.
1: That's the keyword right there loaded Eastern Conference. And I don't want to be the guy that comes on here and, like every other guy, that says it's going to depend on health, but it is going to depend on health, considering how stacked this Eastern Conference is, right? And when you look at this Donovan Mitchell acquisition, you know, I don't want to be the guy that says, hey, the Cavs are going to be middle of the pack, but, you know, I see the potential, like I said, of them being a four or five seed. I really do see that thing. Obviously, how that roster is built out, Evan Mobley, what kind of leap he's going to take guy like Isaac Okoro as well. And you kind of look at the surrounding, because you look, like you mentioned, Milwaukee, Boston, Brooklyn, Philadelphia, obviously where, how are the Raptors going to kind of mesh right now? That's, that's the kind of like a sleeper in the Eastern conference. Obviously we all kind of characterize them as that, like that last year. Is Scotty Barnes going to really excel and take off and be kind of a first time all-star this year in that category. Then, you know, I like with the Cavs, it's, it's such a loaded East that I don't want, I'm going to put them at like, I would put them at the five seed. If I had to lock in and say I had to put money on it, I'd put them at the five seed right now. I really, that's a nice, comfortable spot. I would put the Cavs in. But like I said, this Cavs team is built to kind of dominate for years to come. And especially if you look at the moves that they made, especially this Mitchell trade, considering that Evan Mobley still has a couple more years till that extension comes around, which obviously me and you both know the Cavs are going to give him an extension. They're at least going to offer it. You know, you could buy that time and I like what they're doing with, okay, sticking their nose in those contentions, but at the same time building a young core that could dominate for years to come.
0: Oh, yeah. And and again, we mentioned those guys age, Chris, you look at the way those guys are going to be able to gel and they were really good. They were top four top five team throughout a majority of the regular season last year. And again, injuries kind of made them fall off but another team we haven't even mentioned to the miami heat right the team yeah. that made the eastern conference finals last year they're going to be right there as well so yeah. i have no clue how this is going to play out but and i said this a lot on the sixers podcast because this is the way philly is going to be judged you got philly you got M- miami boston milwaukee obviously brooklyn's going to be right up there cleveland it's like well cleveland like you said if they, if the Cavs get to the second round it's a win for the organization because you're trying to build for obviously you want to do as good as you can this season but you're looking at a year maybe two from now because you still got spider mitchell for three more including Mm -hmm. this uh, upcoming season whereas those other teams like miami boston milwaukee philly brooklyn those teams are going to be judged by what they do in the playoffs nobody gives a crap if they go 45 and 37 or 64 and 18 if you lose in the first or second round the season's a failure right
1: exactly exactly and that's that's why i put the ceiling at for cleveland's the second round exit i feel like because they have that perfect, like, honestly, I would call it a perfect balance between sticking your nose and contending and saying, Hey, like to, to the Cleveland fans and Cleveland organization, that we do have the pieces to make a run. But at the same time, we also are preparing to kind of assert dominance for the next three, four years. And then obviously, like I said, with the Mobley extension, that's it's a perfect balance. And that's why I really like this Mitchell edition for them because you can't, you don't need to extend Evan Mobley for at least, I think it's, at this point, what, three more years at this point, two more years? So, you know, it's 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 kind of the perfect balance. And you, you can't forget about, guys, the, the East is so loaded that we forgot to talk about it. the Atlanta Hawks, for example. How are they going to mesh in their new backcourt that they got going on? Obviously, you brought up the Heat as well. You know, you got all these, these teams that it's going to be so packed, filled. And when you look at the play-in tournament, for example, that's going to be exciting when it comes around.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you look at the East, man. I mean, a a team we don't even talk about. I mean, again, they're they're a notch below all those squads we've been talking about. Even the Hornets, like LaMelo Ball is going to get better this year. You know what I mean? So you're looking at the top 10. Maybe the Knicks take over Charlotte. But otherwise, I think if you look at the standings from last year, those nine teams that are the top nine, they're going to be there again. Who knows what order they're going to be in? Because Washington with Bradley Beal, they're another 35-win team. You know what I mean? Likely not going to be in the play-in conversation. The Pacers are going to stink. Detroit and Orlando have great – young players but again compared to the teams they're going to be playing against yeah they're still they're two years away from being a year away you know what i'm saying when you look at those things so um yeah i am excited to see what happens with the eastern conference and it's going to make it like for me chris as as a basketball junkie i'm glad we're going into a year where i'll be honest with you there's 10 teams that i look at that could win the championship and i have no freaking clue who's going to do it
1: that's that's the glory part about the NBA, right and obviously we're if you think about the NBA today to the NBA even five years ago, LeBron, the Miami era, that type of thing, it's a luxury for basketball fans to have this many teams that have their nose and their kind of their feet wet in this type of contention category, right? When Even if you look at how packed the East is, the West isn't too far behind, but obviously the East is more dominant than the West right now. So, you know, it's it's going to be so thrilling to watch. And, and plus, especially considering how packed the East is, not a lot of teams, like especially like I want to bring up the Nets in this kind of category, use them as an example. A lot of teams with all these moving pieces, they're not going to have that luxury of time to say, you know what, instead of instead of weighing out the thir- first 35, 40 games, or I guess in terms the first half of the season to experiment with what we got, we got to go out there and win with what pieces that we're confident in winning with. So because how, how important the seeding is going to be. So you saw with the Nets last year how kind of um, important it was for Nash to experiment. I think the experimentation really dove on for up to the 60 game mark because they had so many pieces, obviously the buyout additions and all those standpoints, you know, it's the teams aren't going to really have that luxury of saying, you know what, we're not going to have that window of saying, you know, 10, 15, 20 games, obviously that's, that's bare bones. Obviously every team's going to experiment those amount of games, but. For half a season, okay, but we're gonna plug this guy at the five. Can he serve as a stretch five? Can this guy he could guard multiple positions? Let's plug him in here, let's try different lineups. A lot of those teams aren't gonna have that luxury anymore. So that's where it's gonna be competitive, too. And obviously, stemming from everything is the health factor.
0: Oh, of course. And then that's gonna be the the number one thing in, in, in all this, and and covering the Sixers like I have for the past year or so joel and bead's health right james harden's health if so these guys miss an extended period of time now you're looking at hey well we're still even if if joel and, and james harden miss 20 games each we're still going to be a top five seed likely going to you know have a four or five matchup and and have to get through the big boys as you get to round two now you're looking at it joel goes out for 10 15 games that could be the difference between second and eighth in the conference you know what i mean
1: yep yep exactly and then one one last point on the mitchell trade I think I don't know about you, Jazz, but I I really do think that this this trade. Is, I, I know a lot of people don't view it because obviously a lot of guys that view trades they they they're very uh, dependent on where the star goes, right? Where the star goes is where the winner of the trade is. But when you really look at where the Utah Jazz's vision is, obviously we all know Danny Ainge doesn't do semi rebuilds; he does complete rebuilds. He wants he wants it from the bottom up. But when you look at what's what both sides wanted in this deal and what both sides need in this deal, it's a win win trade. It's a one-win trade. Oh, for sure. And and
0: you look at at what Danny Ainge is, is doing in Utah, a team obviously that was led by Donovan Mitchell and, and Rudy Gobert the past few years and and were perennially at the top of the conference in terms of in the regular season and flamed out in the playoffs in multiple times. And I think that's why Ainge is, is taking this approach. And when yep. Brian Windhorst, obviously like with these, what is going on in Utah? You know what I mean? The, the, the meme that he had there, but you look at what Utah has now 13 unprotected or lightly protected picks through 2029. Again, the jazz, and that organization, I've never really cared for since Carmelo, John Stockton days. I don't know why Utah has been amongst my most hated NBA teams. The fan base is great, but when you look at at that organization, they're not going to be able to attract stars. So what Danny yeah. Ainge is doing here is okay. Let's try and get lucky. Let's try and get hit on the, in one or on you know at least two of our draft picks. Uh, hopefully you're picking number one through three or four where you're able to get some young talent. But then you can use your assets to trade for another guy, like we saw Donovan Mitchell right now, where you have all these picks available to do that. So I think. Maybe three, four years from now, that's when we'll see Utah starting to creep back up into just playoff contention. But I agree. I think this is a win-win for both sides.
1: I uh, completely agree. And also, you got to also realize that Utah, I don't think they're done here. Because when you look at who's left on that roster, they have a lot of veteran trade assets. They got guys like Boyan Bogdanovich, for example. A lot of championship contenders and contenders can really use that shooting, that 3 and D presence. Look at a guy like Jordan Clarkson, right? Mm -hmm. Jordan Clarkson, obviously, he's established a six-man kind of stature over these last couple years, and that's that's kind of his bona fide role, you know. For teams as Utah, obviously, I could imagine he gets bumped up to the starting role now aside Colin Sexton. But you look at him, for example, is he going to get shipped out? Another guys like Mike Conley, right? Mike Conley, I don't think, considering what Danny Ainge's history with rebuilds, I would, I would to be surprised. I'd be surprised if he stays on this roster. And then, you know, like, like we said before you named the picks, was it 13 unpro, uh, protected or yeah. unprotected picks through 2029. 20, that's, that's a, that's a hall of draft assets, kind of similar to what Oklahoma city's got going on. Right. So, and you got, you, you got to also consider Larry marketed, for example, obviously, Colin Sexton, I think that he's going to have a great year considering kind of the low offensive um, kind of, um, Hall, or I guess you could say Hall or Surplus that the Jazz have currently. OJ Abaji uh, too. Those are keepers for the rebuilding roster. So it's going to be interesting how it plays out. But, you know, I know Jazz fans, you know, it's I've, I've seen it with the Nets. We the, All Nets fans kind of know this approach when you go from, okay, we're kind of sticking our nose and contending, you know, the Darren Williams, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett saga. And then all of a sudden in one year you go from, okay, are we going to get the number one pick? You know, it's a hard <laughs> hit for a fan base. But at the same time, that's kind of the beauty of the NBA, because I know uh, even though a lot of fans do like to see their teams win, that's when a lot of fan favorites pop up. When you get those guys that you draft and you see them grow, you see them grow into like kind of uh, organizational talent, kind of homegrown from the bottom up. So, I mean, I am excited for what Utah's got in store for these next three, four years. Yeah, it's going to be
0: fun. And I think OKC now, you know, it was shitty to see Chet Holmgren get hurt because I thought he would be in. I thought he would be the rookie of the year. I I think he's going to be great. The minus the the slim build that he has i don't think that's going to affect him but uh going back to a guy you you mentioned there during uh your part talking about the jazz there chris is is jordan clarkson i don't know a lot of sixers fans are like hey man that would be a great fit he's only at 13.3 million for next season 14.2 for for the year after that uh which is a player option so you look at somebody like clarkson still only you know 29 30 years old it has a lot to give yet. And I think he would look great with the Sixers, who, despite making all those moves that they did and plugging the holes in terms of getting NBA ready guys and three and D and some shooting, they still need a microwave scorer off the bench. And I think Clarkson would be perfect at that. Uh, I Chris, gonna, I really go ahead.
1: like? I really, all I want to say is I really do like that Philly fit for Jordan Clarkson.
0: Yeah. And, and I think if there's some way Daryl Morey can pull that off, that would put the exclamation mark on what already has been quite frankly, a great offseason for the Sixers. Chris, going to jump into a break here. Want to talk about the Nets, about what happened with with KD and and Kyrie and this all stuff. We'll jump into that after a short break.
1: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals.
0: All right. We're back. Uh Joined by Chris Mulholland of Nets Daily writes for a sister site over there, at SB Nation. Uh, Chris, want to jump into this with you as well. You're in Spain. You're having a good time. Like you mentioned, grandmother's out there. You're having a good time, sipping on wine, having some good food, romance and doing whatever it is you want to do. But you see the news break and we kind of connected there by uh, by messaging on Twitter. And obviously you ended up being busy there. But Looking at at that, when you heard Kevin Durant now fully coming back to the Brooklyn Nets, embracing that, you know, joining Kyrie, who opted in for the one year uh, for next season, at least. And then KD obviously entering year one of a four year agreement with the Nets. Looking at this from your perspective, when KD came out with the original trade demand and, and we saw that, then we heard him say, hey, look, it's either Sean Marks and Steve Nash are gone or I'm gone. And we had all the Kyrie drama to go in full circle to, Hey, I'm going to be back and everything's going to work out covering the team the way you have, and, and, being so involved with them. When you saw that news, what was your initial reaction to the fact that, Oh damn, KD's coming back next season.
1: And that's held their ground. That's kind of my first reaction to it. Right. Cause initially, obviously the fan base was completely fed up with how the front office and the ownership were kind of handling this situation. Right. Because when you read the whole timeline, you could kind of call it chaos time of events, putting the pieces together, kind of putting that whole puzzle together. You know, it was, it's one of those things where that Kevin just couldn't really go anywhere else because the nets were saying, Hey, that these type of players don't pop up on the trade market that often. Obviously in recent years, you could, you could throw in James Harden when he was in Houston. Right. But outside of that, a guy that's Kevin, obviously he's had a, a fair little injury patch each of these past couple of years. The Nets were going to say, Hey, this is our this is the asking price that we want, right? And that asking price kind of when you look at it, that Jalen Brown Celtics offer was really bottom line. That's that's what you would need to present to Sean Marks in the front office in order to even get participate a participation trophy to be in this this trade discussion and be involved in the Kevin Durant sweepstakes. So when you really just look at the whole thing the Nets weren't going to move their asking price or whatever the case is. They weren't going to take a bottom dollar. They weren't going to say, Hey, we, and when you look at it too, the Nets made it very clear and all of us have been obviously ringing phones throughout the whole process. And all of us have been hearing the same thing that the Nets are still trying to contend. They're not doing the, okay, if you give us a a boatload of assets and um, we're, we're in the focus of rebuilding, then, you know, you could, you could, you could possibly land Kevin. It was, Hey, we need an all-star caliber player. Futures like a future super superstar level, such as a guy like Jalen Brown, key role players, and draft picks. It was the whole package. And that no team can really match that offer. And obviously, it got screwed up when DeAndre and obviously signed the offer sheet with, with Indiana. Cause at that point, you can't trade him till I think it's at least December 15th for the Suns when they matched it. So that kind of screwed everything up. And when he rescinded his trade, it makes complete sense because. You also got to look at it this way, and I know a lot of Nets fans looked at it this way, and I can imagine Kevin also looked at it this way. With the Nets roster currently constructed, obviously it's not finished. I know for a fact, and I've known from sources, it's not a finished roster. But when you look at um, how this roster is built up, the surplus of wings, obviously the main hit is obviously you do need a stretch five. You do need another big body down low. But when you look at that roster, that's the best roster Kevin has had in his Brooklyn tenure. So, and you look at guys such as, okay, Simmons is fine. He's, he's on pace to be healthy, I've heard. And obviously a lot of guys have also previously reported that Simmons is completely on track to be available for training camp in his rehab. And you look at guys like Joe Harris, he's also expected to be healthy. I know he's going to be healthy. Then you look at guys like Seth Curry, he's also going to be healthy. And you look at other guys that you signed. TJ Warren was an interesting signing. Obviously Edmund Sumner, that's a low risk, high reward signing. And you look at other guys such as obviously Royce O'Neill, that trade, that's that's a great presence to have, someone that's kind of has that experience and can really fill a role for Brooklyn. The Markeith Morris, which I've heard, and I don't, I don't know if I've even said this publicly, but that was a Kevin Durant request. I've heard that was a Kevin Durant request to go get Markeith Morris. So when you really put all the puzzles together, the biggest two factors to kind of put a bow on this whole thing is no teams had enough to offer to meet the Nets asking price. And the Nets roster is the best roster it has been considered, obviously taking in fact that they do need a big body stretch five down low that Kevin has had in his Brooklyn tenure.
0: When you look at this now, after all the circus and the, and the drama, and I, I've said this before, but thank you, Kevin Durant, because you gave us something to talk about through July and August, which actually gave us content too. Otherwise, you know, it's a struggle, Chris, as you know, during oh. the dog days of the NBA off season. but looking, looking at the on-court fit now, right? Like, how do you think it's going to play out? The And I, again, you did such a good job covering the team. You know, you, you've been plugged in with them as well. Looking at the dynamic between Steve Nash, uh, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Sean Marks, obviously. Was that just something you think KD used as leverage to try and maybe see if he can make that happen? Or was he dead serious about that? And if so, how do they mend those fences and, and come back and act like nothing happened when the season kicks off in, in six weeks or so?
1: You hit the biggest question mark right there. Can they mend the fences? Can they rebuild what was transpiring throughout those whole trade requests? The, okay, you choose between me or Sean Marks and Steve Nash, right? How much of a factor is that going to play, right? Because with Steve, he's still there. There's been no rumblings, no rumors, no nothing. And and as far as we all know, that he is completely locked, that the Nets are completely locked in on having him as the head coach for next year. And when you look at how this roster is constructed when you talk about fit, we saw glimpses of small ball last year. We saw glimpses of how this team can run with small ball, but they didn't have that size or length defensively. And that's where, when when initially, I think it was on the last podcast I had with you, I really noted that factor of the Celtics really exposed the Nets' weakness when it comes to size and length, I mean, especially on the defensive end. They patched that. They got a lot of wings and a lot of kind of low-risk, high-reward signings. A lot of guys, and when you look at kind of how this breaks down, Guys like Udonis Nahmi, he's on a non-guarantee. So really, if you waive him and you open up that roster spot, it's not going to be that much of a hit. Marquise Morris, wh- what I'm told is that even though he's on a non-guaranteed deal, that he is he is on track to make it past training camp, and he's going to be a lock for at least the first half of the regular season. And obviously, as we know too, the Nets are a very heavily aggressive team when it comes to the buyout deadline, which is I believe it's in February, mid-February. So. You know, it's going to be interesting because Steve Nash, obviously he's had his little experience with small ball and during his playing career, you look at guys, especially on the bench and the coaching staff. I know a lot of the fan base isn't that pleased with how this, the, the coaching staff's built. But you look at guys like Igor, right? Guys mm-hmm. that, that have that experience coaching and that kind of small ball uh, coaching tendencies and how they could run schemes and plays and kind of rotations and stuff like that. So the Nets are one of those teams, like last year and like it's been since the KD and Kyrie era, we got to see it on the court to see how it's going to work. Is Ben Simmons going to play the five? Is he going to be a guy that roams around, does everything? I think the loss of Bruce Brown is extremely huge for this team. I've noticed that and I noted that one the moment he signed with Denver. Um, So, you know, it's one of those teams, literally the definition of I got to see how it works when it's on the court. But at the same time, like I've said before, this is the best roster that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving have had s- since they have arrived in Brooklyn.
0: Chris, looking at looking at the Ben Simmons stuff, I know all the Sixers fans love talking about this guy right when it comes to oh, Ben yeah. Simmons. But you look at his potential there to miss all last season with the back injury, uh, even after the 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 deadline day trade to Brooklyn. Obviously, that bought Harden over to Philly. But look looking at his fit there. I, I think. He's going to be very, very good. And as much as it, it pains me to say this about Ben coming from a Sixers perspective, still an all-star level player impacts the game, both ends of the floor in terms of, yeah, offensively can't shoot worth a damn, but can definitely set people up is a playmaker and defensively one of the best in the game. When you look at the expectations for him, where do you think the Knicks are looking at for how he's going to fit. Are we expecting him to be an all-star level guy again, even though he missed a full season and coming back with some back issues, or are you looking at him and they're going to try and take it slow, ease him in and figure things out as they go along?
1: Considering the timeline of the events and everything, I can imagine that ease him in. I don't think they're going to throw him in a very huge role to begin with, unless he wants to take that on. When you uh For the all-star caliber question, I think he'll be an all-star caliber player, but considering how loaded the East is now, I don't see him getting an all-star nod. And that's not a hit on him, but considering the fit and obviously how all-stars have been voted in these past couple of years, obviously, depending on, it's been very weighed on flashiness, scoring. Obviously, it's a guard and wing league. You know, I don't see him getting the all-star nod. He could prove me wrong, but... At the same time, I think he's going to be that guy that just plugs in a lot of holes, right? Rebounding and playmaking may be his biggest um, contributions here. But when you see how this roster is really made up, and obviously, I would like to compare it a little bit. I don't want to say completely compare, but I would like to com- compare it a little bit to Ben's rookie and sophomore year in Philadelphia. You remember that year when he had, they had a bunch of shooters? Mm-hmm. Obviously, they had their they had the pick and roll working as well but he had the shooters and he was, he was a very good playmaker. And obviously he's been a huge playmaker throughout his career, but I would like to compare it similar to that type of role where he's a plugging guy, he's playmaking. He could push it on the break, really kind of lead with his major strengths and what he's really known for aside and have that kind of low pressure of, Hey, You don't have to shoot the ball, but I know the Nets would. The the Nets, obviously, in the past, this past season, when obviously he was lurking towards a return, obviously it didn't come into fruition. But the Nets said, hey, you know, we have no problem with him not shooting the ball, but I can imagine Simmons would maybe come out and turn into that summer league Ben Simmons, maybe take a couple mid range jump shots, you know, that type of uh, avenue in his skill set. But I don't see him shooting too much, but yeah. So hopefully, hopefully that made sense to you.
0: No, it did. It did. I mean, that's what people nothing made sense with Ben Simmons over that last year and then the playoffs with him. So, th- you know, you're trying to break it down, but I, I I'm with you, Chris. I, I think when you look at what Ben's potential is with that squad and with that roster, not being the second fiddle there, obviously didn't have to do that with, with Joel Embiid and, and Jimmy mm-hmm. Butler until, but once Butler was gone, and even though the Sixers had the best record in the East, he, he was still relied upon to be an offensive difference maker. And that's just not his game. And I think now when you got KD and Kyrie ahead of you kind of taking care of the heavy lifting. I think it's going to be a really good spot for, for Ben Simmons to be in. Again, as much as it pains me to say that from a Sixers perspective, but uh, last couple of questions for you. And I, wanted, I want to focus a little bit here, Chris, too, on the on the Brooklyn-Philly thing, obviously yeah. in the same division, uh, going to see Ben make his return to Wells Fargo Center pretty early in the year as well. And I think everybody has that circled on their calendars when it comes to even if you're a casual fan you're going to want to see how Sixers fans treat Ben Simmons when he's back in Philly and actually playing on the court not sitting on the sideline like he was last year when you when you look at those two teams who do you think has the advantage between Brooklyn and Philly right now going into the season
1: right now it's 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 really tough to choose because with Philadelphia, they have more of the continuity, right? They have the continuity advantage, like considering all the new faces that the Nets have and how the Nets are really going to run their offense and their defensive schemes, right? And the new additions to the coaching staff. It's a lot of changes in Brooklyn. There's a lot of changes in Brooklyn, but they're also positive changes. So I would I would give considering, well, number one, the Nets don't even have a... Uh, you could obviously throw in Dayron Sharp, for example, Nick Claxton and uh, Morris, right? But they don't really have and obviously no one could guard MB in one-on-one coverage, you know, but you know, i would give the slight edge to the nets just because of how their roster is built out. But at the same time, I wouldn't surprise, it wouldn't surprise me at all. If Philly's continuity edge and especially what type of leap is maxi going to take is James Harden. Obviously during this whole entire summer, he's really starting to now. I wouldn't say like, he's really starting to promote that. Hey, I'm in shape now. I feel the best I've felt in a while. I've, I'm have i ready to contend. And I really do think that Harden's going to surprise a lot of people, considering a lot of people's expectations, the public yep. perception, right? So, you know, I, it's it's very, very, very tight. I would give Philly the edge as it stands going into the season. But at the same time, I could see that if the Nets can really put it together and come out strong to begin with, I would give it to the Nets, but in a in a playoff series down the line, it's obviously you know it's the NBA. You got to take everything day by day. It's 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 hard, man. It's so hard. Like you, you know it too. It's hard to pick.
0: Ooh, Chris, I got to be honest with you. Get ready for your mentions to blow up because Sixers fans are ready and nobody wants to hear the fact that you think Brooklyn is better. I, I, you know what? I'm going to go the opposite oh, yeah. way. Uh, I, I just think that, like you said, I think with the continuity and I think with the depth that the Sixers have added, I, I would take them to finish again, not by much. But I think those two teams are very, very close in terms of talent level. Although I think ultimately, again, nobody gives a crap what happens in the regular season, especially those two organizations. They want to make deep playoff runs. But I do think the Sixers will finish. Again, this is assuming that both teams stay completely healthy, which obviously we know likely isn't going to happen over the course of an 82-game season. But I do think the Sixers are a little bit better at this point than Uh the Nets. But again, that that can all change by the time we get into April and May. Uh, Let's (laughs) wrap up on this, Chris. I want to ask you now, we've talked about Brooklyn, we've talked about Philly, obviously a little bit here looking at the loaded Eastern conference. We obviously touched on this in the beginning of the pod when we were discussing the Donovan Mitchell, the Cleveland news. But looking at Miami, Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, Brooklyn. Now you got Cleveland as well. How do you rank the top five in the Eastern conference, in your opinion, given how things are right now with the rosters as constructed?
1: Like you want you want
0: an order? I want an order. Yes.
1: I would go Celtics one. Go, I really do like what the Celtics have and what the, the obviously the bit, the addition to Malcolm Brogdon and kind of what they just have their arsenal total. Right. And obviously health has been on their side in recent years. I don't want to jinx anything. Knock on wood. I have them at one. I do have, it's tough, man. I have um. Give me Milwaukee at two. Then give me, man, it's, it's hard. I gotta, it's, it's hard. hard. I'll go Brooklyn three i'll go brooklyn just doesn't have that they don't have a bad health history i'll go philly three brooklyn four then i would go obviously Cavs five and then give me the raptors over the hawks and and the bulls so i put the raptors at six then i'll put the hawks at seven and chicago at eight
0: what about miami
1: Oh, shit, I forgot about my Yeah, see, that's uh, the hard part I, I see, now I, with the East. <laughs> this is why, like, when you're just running off the top of the head, especially in the East. No, all right, you know, give me Miami at. So we got Boston, Milwaukee, uh, Philly, Philly Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Yeah. Philly, Brooklyn. Um, Give me Miami, five. Toronto, six. Atlanta, seven. uh, Chicago, eight. And then oh, we're like, missing Cleveland now. You see what I, was, I mean? So yeah, yeah, this is so where it's tough. like, I'm running off. To, I got to write this down. You don't know, <laughs> get back to me on this. Okay. Okay. Know, well, right before, right before the season starts, I got to hop on another pod. I'm going to run it by because it's, it's so tough because how loaded this, this conference is, And like, obviously we know New York, Washington, Indiana, Detroit, Orlando, they're not going to, they're, they're, they're at most playing right. Considering mm-hmm. the moves that they made and everything there. Um. Man, it's, oh, ah, man, it's, it's tough. You know, it's, ooh, well, okay. I, I
0: think, I think we can agree, Chris, the top nine teams, we likely know who they're going to be at this yeah. point. Again, assuming that the big boys, the big guns stay healthy, uh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the 10th spot, Charlotte, Washington, maybe the Knicks are going to be battling it out for that. Like, and then obviously you got like Indy, Miami, Detroit, Orlando.
1: Like the Miami disrespect. Cause like, I know a lot of people do call Miami fake contenders, even though, listen, you saw what they did last year. Mm-hmm. so i know a lot of people are like okay miami they're not a good playoff team they're the moves that they made blah 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 blah. you know all that stuff but it's like you know like if you had just had the ramble off top nine teams like no order it's miami boston philly milwaukee brooklyn toronto chicago atlanta and cleveland right those that we could all agree that those will be the top nine unless the hornets just come out of nowhere and steal one of those top spots right so It's it's really really tough. It's really tough, and that's that's that's, that's what's going to make the Eastern Conference so beautiful this year. It's going to be so competitive that it's actually going to be, you know, fans. I feel like, and obviously fans, fans are fans, but I feel like the East is going to be so good this year that you're going to get a lot of fans that you're like, you know, let me tune into a Cleveland game this time, or let me tune into an outside market team, not my team, right? They're going to they're going to heavily evaluate and keep an eye on all these teams throughout the years. It's not that saying. OK, this is the, let me check the standings in the 30th game of the year. Like, I really do think a lot of teams are going to really start watching actual games of those top Eastern Conference teams, contenders, because I would go top Eastern Conference contenders. Then you got contenders and then you have the ones that have their foot slightly in that door. Right. Those are yeah. The three. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that's a
0: perfect way to break it down. And, and again, looking at that. The top five six it's going to be a bloodbath man and, and and health is going to be so crucial in order to avoid a playing game like let's be real if you're milwaukee and hypothetically of course not wanting this to happen but let's say Giannis goes down for 30 games and and you're going in as a as a nine seed into a play-in, like you're one loss away from your season ending you know what i mean yeah. so there's yeah. just there's so many variables to it and again for us people like us who are basketball junkies put this stuff into my veins chris you know what i mean because oh, yeah. we're going want to be wanting to watch thing. games oh yeah. yeah man like sign me up whatever it is i don't care what the side effects are at this point i just want to enjoy the ride we're going to be in for six months of basketball heaven uh chris oh, i want to thank uh, thank you for joining me man it's, it's always fun having you on we're trying to plan out some some stuff we might be doing together throughout the season but yep. i appreciate you taking the time and being very flexible with me today at the time we recorded this as well
1: Dude, of course brother you know you're you're one of my favorites i love hopping on podcasts with you it's always great. The chemistry is always great. And dude, even we're both basketball junkies, you know, me and you could hop on a phone call for 10 hours and not even get bored of talking basketball. So I really, really do appreciate you. And obviously the platform that you're on as well. Subscribe to this podcast, guys.
0: I appreciate that, man. That is Chris Mulholland. He writes for our sister site at SB Nation Nets Daily. You can check him out on Twitter at C Millholland SB. That's M-I-L-H-O-L-E-N. And Then SB. I'm at Jazz Kang 21 J A S K A N G 21. Don't forget, as Chris mentioned there before the end, subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. Always appreciate a five-star review if you're inclined to give us one. And of course, check us out at libertyballers.com. Sean will be in the hot seat with the talking about podcasts on Friday. And then we're gonna have a couple of new shows coming up for y'all as well we did announce Seamus Clancy joining Paul Hudrick that'll be a Philly centric sports show that one launched yesterday which was on Tuesday so they'll be coming out regularly talking Eagles Sixers Flyers Phillies anything to do with the Philadelphia sports scene they'll have you covered there and we're adding a new show as well we're going to have more information for you on that next week that'll do it for this one we'll catch up with you all next time